Welcome to Direct and Current, an audio broadcast presented by Electrical Business Magazine. I'm Anthony Kapkin. In February 2020, the Canadian Solar Industries Association and Canadian Wind Energy Association announced they would be amalgamating. In May 2020, they announced the name of their new group, Canadian Renewable Energy Association, a new national voice for the wind, solar, and energy storage industries. Leading this new association is Robert Hornung, president of Canwea for 17 years, and he joins me now. Uh, welcome. Thanks for being here, Robert. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity. Now, Robert, tell me, uh, just because the, I think a lot of times words are used interchangeably back and forth and maybe inappropriately, uh, but for myself and, and for listeners, what is the distinction between renewable energy and green energy? And is there one? Oh, I think there very clearly is one. I mean, renewable energy clearly has a, a strong definitional base. I mean, renewable energy is using resources that are naturally replenished. Uh, usually on a sort of human time scale. Um, green energy is, a, is an ill-defined term. I think it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I actually prefer not to use that term because I think it, it doesn't provide a clear sense of, uh, of, what, uh, of what we're talking about. Whereas I think renewable energy is quite clear in terms of saying, you know, if you're going to be a renewable energy source, that resource has to be naturally replenished. I like that. I'm, I'm glad you helped spell this out and, and help me understand. And I also like that you included in there the, the human time scale. So that's a, that's a good distinction. I'm glad you brought that up. No, I think it is important. There are a lot of words that we, we, we use in, in discussions around energy, which you know, have, have grown to mean many different things to many different people. Sustainable is another example, I think, of a word like that. It's a, a space where we're going to have an increasing amount of dialogue and discussion, and I think the you know the clearer we are in our language, the easier it will be to find a path forward. That's a very good point. If everyone is speaking the same language, then by default we should be able to better understand one another. So now, Robert, um, you 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 are the uh, now president, uh, leader of the uh, new association, Canadian Renewable Energy Association. But before that, you were leading the Canadian Wind Energy Association for nearly two decades, 17 years. Uh, now, during that time, you must have witnessed a lot of change. Can you describe for me, you know, back then, uh, you know, what was the renewables landscape like and, and how has it changed over the years? And I'm thinking technologically, politically, um, I know uh, nimbyism uh, rears its uh, ugly head here and there. Perhaps you could speak to some of those changes and, and attitudes in the population. Uh, sure. I mean, I feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to be involved uh, with the Wind Energy Association for as long as I have been. And it's been an amazing journey in many ways. Uh, when I started with Canwea, there were less than 300 megawatts of installed wind energy capacity in Canada. Uh, we have now individual wind farms that are bigger than that. Uh, when I started, wind energy was clearly seen as a marginal power source, wasn't really taken very seriously. I even heard public discussion of it being called toy power at that point in time. And what we've seen since then, first and foremost, is a tremendous advancement in technology and evolution, which has helped to drive down costs of wind energy very, very significantly. Solar energy is on a very similar curve at this point in time. And we also saw governments start to take some steps that facilitated the entry of wind energy into the market 
so that it could secure some economies of scale. And I think wind energy is actually be an incredible success story uh, in Canada and around the world, but in Canada certainly as well. Um, wind energy is now clearly recognized as a mainstream energy source in Canada. It produces enough, enough electricity to meet about 7% of electricity demand in Canada now. It's been the leading source of new generating capacity in Canada for more than a decade. And we've seen in the last couple of years, as costs have continued to come down, recent competitive tendering processes in Alberta gave us prices for wind energy of less than four cents per kilowatt hour. And so it's also quite clear now that if you want to build new electricity generation in Canada, the lowest cost source of new electricity generation is actually wind energy. And that's why I think, uh, you know, in terms of taking on this new role, I feel very, very fortunate because I feel these technologies have a, a tremendous future, um, not only because they're consistent, I think, with some of the environmental imperatives that we're going to be dealing with going forward in terms of climate change, but because also from an economic basis and a cost competitiveness basis, these technologies are well positioned to compete for new opportunities going forward. And we see that in terms of the perspective of customers on this. One of the main drivers right now for renewable energy growth around the world is actually corporate and institutional procurement of renewable energy. Companies like General Motors or Johnson & Johnson or Google or Facebook were going out and signing agreements to purchase renewable energy in part to meet their own sort of corporate environmental sustainability commitments but primarily because they want to get the lowest cost power. Um, we see growing interest in renewable energy at the level of the homeowner uh, in terms of people looking to install solar panels on their rooftops or to have a battery uh, coupled with that in their home. So I really do believe that there is strong and growing support for the deployment of renewable energy going forward. And I think the evolution that we've seen in terms of the technology and its cost competitiveness promises a, a very brilliant and bright future uh, for these technologies. Uh, I'm glad you uh, you mentioned the homeowners. I'm I'm reminded of uh, a friend of mine uh, out in Alberta, uh, you know, redoing his his home. Now Alberta is typically seen as the land of oil and gas dinosaurs. But he was telling me that um, he set aside a certain amount of funds to put uh, solar uh, on his rooftop, solar in his home, and draw power that way. And he said to him, it was a choice. Uh, you know, I could either spend that money on an updated kitchen or I could, you know, generate my own electricity. And so he decided to go the route of generating his own electricity. Well, and I think at the end of the day, one of the things that we're seeing in the electricity system as a whole is you know, a system that is, it's going through a, a fairly fundamental transformation. I mean, for many decades, uh, we've, we've worked with an electricity system that is built around the concept of large generating stations, extensive transmission networks that sort of deliver power out to homes from a limited range of sources. I believe where we're headed in the future is a system that is much more diversified. We're going to see many, many different kinds of ways to produce electricity. It's going to be much more decentralized. Uh, we'll see smaller scale generation. We will see generation at the level of the home and at the individual business. And that will actually make the system more resilient and more interconnected uh, going forward. So I do think that it also means that we'll see, frankly, consumers and customers playing a stronger role in determining what the shape of that system is going to be in the future. And again, one of the reasons we feel optimistic when we look ahead is we're pretty sure 
that people are going to rank pretty highly in terms of what they're looking for, environmentally friendly sources of generation and low-cost sources of generation. And again, we think the technologies that we're representing in this new association sort of fit that to a T. Yes, I, I am glad you, you mentioned the uh, price of the technology or cost of the technology coming down uh, because too often uh, I, I hear that, uh, you know, it's, well, it, it's only tree huggers or, uh, you know, climate change activists who, who will subscribe to uh, renewable energy uh, and that economy has uh, and cost has nothing to do with it. Uh, but you put forward a very compelling case that, you know, regardless of, you know, climate change denial or acceptance, it, it, it just makes economic sense to also go this route. Well, and in fact, an organization like Bloomberg New Energy Finance has come out and stated that during this decade, the decade of the 2020s, we will reach a point where new wind and solar generation will be cheaper to build and operate than to continue operating existing coal-fired generation. Um, this is how rapidly the costs are coming down. So, Again, this is part of why I think the electricity system and the electricity grid as a whole is, is undergoing a really fundamental transformation um, as, as technologies are moving so quickly. You know, in fact, I would argue that the, the technologies are moving at a pace that it's, it's challenging for uh, market frameworks and regulatory frameworks to keep up. <laughs> but uh, I think everyone is working very hard to try and ensure that consumers will be able to benefit from these changes as they as they are coming forward. Uh, so when I saw that Canadian Renewable Energy Association is for wind, is for solar and energy storage, uh, I was surprised because that wasn't in the mix before, but also not surprised to see energy storage in that mix. Because uh, to me, uh, it seemed that uh, in the renewables equation, energy storage has been underrepresented in the public consciousness. So rather than put words in your mouth, uh, can you tell me about the discussion decisions that that prompted the addition of energy storage uh, into Canadian Renewable Energy Association's mandate? And, uh, and what sort of energy storage systems are we talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think energy storage is going to have a critical role to play in supporting the electricity grid going forward as more more and more sources of variable generation like wind and solar come onto the grid. Uh, energy storage provides an, uh, a mechanism to, in essence, flatten out that production, uh, ensure that uh, you know power is available when it's required. And from our perspective, we've seen a tremendous amount of growth in, in interest and investment in energy storage at this point in time in anticipation of this rapid expansion of wind and solar going forward. And energy storage can be applied at the project level. So, for example, you see a growing number of wind and solar facilities in Europe and in, in North America that are now being built not as a wind farm, but as a wind farm with batteries or a solar batteries. But you also see energy storage systems uh, being built independently of renewable generation to provide services to the grid that will help manage, again, variable generation. And for this new association, we're looking, we're, we're not, we're technology agnostic with respect to storage. There are many, many different technologies available and many uh, different scales at which they can be applied. We talked earlier about uh, people having batteries in their home. Uh, to couple with their, their solar panels on their roof. You could have pumped hydro storage. 
You could have compressed air storage. You could have large battery facilities. You can use hydrogen as a storage mechanism. There are a whole range of technologies that are available, and they're going just to have an increasingly important role to play as we go going forward. And uh, in Canada right now, relative to other jurisdictions, we're probably a bit behind uh, in terms of the application of energy storage. Now, there's one good reason for that, and that is because we have an electricity grid that is uh, dominated uh, by hydroelectric production. And our hydroelectric production actually can play a very important role in terms of energy storage with the large reservoir dams that we have in this country. But having said that, the, the, the challenge to introducing more storage in Canada is not a technology problem, it's a markets problem. Our storage is, a, is, a, is an interesting thing to bring into the grid because it's, it's not just a generator. It can feed power into the grid, but it can provide a whole range of other services to the grid as well to help with the stability of the grid, the reliability of the grid. And right now we see electricity system operators sort of struggling I shouldn't say struggling. They're working to uh, figure out how to provide signals that actually provide incentives and compensation and value. And I think that's uh, moving quite rapidly. And so we would expect to see a very significant expansion in energy storage emerging going forward. And as I said, from our perspective, it's a tremendous enabler of new uh, wind and solar energy deployment. And so we're very we see a lot of common interest and synergies there uh, that we feel we can move together on as a single association. Definitely, uh, definitely true about the synergies. Um, I'm quite glad to actually see that this has become part of the mix, part of the mandate, because, uh, you know, not being directly involved, but sort of looking at it from the side, it just seems like the right decision seems like it makes sense. Uh, now, Robert, uh, and, you know, we, we kind of touched upon this with the first question, uh, you know, the difference between green energy and renewable energy, things get muddied, things get confused. Um, I want to bring you to a couple quotes uh, from a gentleman from a, a conference symposium last year um, who, you know, does research and stuff in the fossil fuels industry. And he was saying that uh, we're, speaking of the Paris Accord specifically, he said, we're not in a race to deploy renewables. We're in a race to reduce emissions. So, when governments, the general public, industry are faced with uh, multitudinous viewpoints from educated people, not just, um, you know, common Facebook chats, but, you know, educated people, what tact will the Canadian Renewable Energy Association take for promoting its message and getting buy-in from all these various disparate interests? Well, from our perspective, a discussion that is based in rhetoric doesn't get us very far. <laughs> So I guess first and foremost, I would say we have a, a keen interest in ensuring that our discussions and debates around energy are fact-based um, because we want to ensure that decisions that we are taking are well-informed decisions going forward. Um, it's not our intention as an association to attack any other form of generation. We, we will sort of compare different forms of generation on a fact basis uh, in terms of various attributes that they have. But the, you know, the reality is, is that we are going to need a lot of different approaches to uh, deal with targets like that identified in the Paris Accord. I'll reference again Bloomberg New Energy Finance. They, in their recent New Energy Outlook, they projected that by 2050, 
50% of global electricity would come from wind energy, solar energy, coupled with energy storage. Um, so again, this is why we're optimistic. We think we have a lot of room to grow, but that means 50% is still coming from something else. And it's going to be important that that technology is non-emitting if we're serious about our climate objectives. And I think ultimately we will need a range of technologies uh, in order to achieve these goals. And fundamentally, you know, I think a key determinant as to which technologies we'll be implementing going forward is going to be cost. And, uh, and so, you know, I think we're, uh, we talked about earlier the, the diversification we're seeing within the, uh, within the electricity system, the growing introduction of new technologies and things going forward. And all of these technologies are going to be competing to provide these needs going forward. And uh, again, we feel confident we're in a good position to compete um, and look forward to that competition. But we realize that our technologies are not the whole solution. Uh, they're going to be part of a portfolio. Robert, you were quoted as saying uh, that there is a clear public desire to see advancement of the technologies that we represent to capture the full promise of a renewable energy future. Um, so. Again, you've touched on this, but what does that energy future look like? Uh, to your mind, to your members' minds, what does a realistic transition from some fossil fuels to renewables look like? Yeah, I mean, I think if we if we look ahead and we look at, again, tying it to some of the objectives that you discussed in terms of climate and coming out of the Paris Accord, to achieve the the deep level of greenhouse gas emission reductions that we're talking about, uh, and in fact, Canada has now stated it wants to be a net zero greenhouse gas emitter by 2050. There have been many, many studies that look at that deep decarbonization, and they all come to a similar conclusion. One of the most important things you can do is decarbonize your electricity grid. And in Canada, we're actually incredibly well positioned to do that. 80% of our electricity already comes from non-emitting sources. And we have vast and abundant untapped renewable resources, wind, water, uh, sun, um, that we can capitalize on going forward. So from my perspective, if Canada can't achieve 100% a non-emitting grid, uh, frankly, nobody can. <laughs> um, but I'm very confident that Canada can and that we can actually move relatively quickly to do that. But that only is part of the story because we then need to use that clean, non-emitting electricity to substitute for fossil fuels in other applications, whether that's in transportation, through powering electric vehicles, or the production of hydrogen to uh, serve as a fuel source for renewable hydrogen, as a fuel source in uh, freight transportation or aviation or things like that, to help to electrify buildings and to help to electrify industry. And indeed, uh, again, these deep decarbonization studies pretty consistently say that if you're really serious about getting to 80, 90% greenhouse gas emission reductions, the electricity grid not only has to be clean, it has to expand significantly. It has to be perhaps double the size that it is today. Some studies even say triple the size that it is today. And of course, we're also going to see this growing level of self-sufficiency, I would argue, in terms of, uh, of electricity generation. And we've talked earlier about homeowners taking an increasing role, the role of the prosumer, people who are producing energy and consuming energy going forward, businesses with a growing interest in, in producing their own energy. It's not all about growing energy. It's critical that we strive to use energy as efficiently as possible. 
And indeed, probably the first priority in any climate plan has to be to improve energy efficiency. But studies have shown that even with significant efficiency improvements, just from the growth of the economy, growth of population, growth of activity, we will need more clean electricity to ensure a climate-friendly uh, and net carbon, net zero carbon future. So again, I think there's wind and solar and storage are going to be an incredibly important part of that story. Uh, we believe it will represent the majority of new electricity generation coming forward in Canada, but it's not the whole story. Efficiency is going to play an important role. Uh, we will need to focus on electrification. As we spoke about earlier, other sources, hydropower, geothermal power, uh, ocean power in terms of tidal power, wave power, these are all technologies I think that will have a potential to play an important role in helping to facilitate transformation going forward. That is definitely a lot of ways to generate electricity. And uh, I like uh, the point you, you mentioned that, uh, you know, if, if Canada can't do it, then, then really no one can. We're, we're truly blessed as a country in terms of the, the abundance of resource that we have and can capitalize on. And if we're, you know, from my perspective, if we're smart about it and move to become a leader in moving to a non-emitting grid, we will gain knowledge, expertise, sort of work with different technologies that will provide us with tremendous opportunities in other countries in terms of sharing that knowledge, exporting uh, that expertise as other countries work to do similar things. Because in the end, climate, of course, is a global challenge. And, uh, you know, it's not just going to be Canada that's going to have to make these sorts of adjustments going forward. So for my audience of electrical professionals, uh, they're, they're engineers, they're electrical contractors, they're consultants. How do they get in on the action? How do they get involved in renewables as opposed to just reading about them? Well, I think first and foremost, they can look at the, you know, and look at the, the types of companies that are members of our association. You know, our association represents uh, companies that develop wind and solar and storage projects, companies that own and operate those projects, and a whole range of service providers to the industry, whether it's construction services, environmental assessment services, electrical services, et cetera. So it's a way to get a sense of the sort of the playing field in terms of, of, of who's out there. And we see a growing number of post-secondary educations, community colleges, universities that are developing programs that are targeted at producing graduates who are sort of ready, ready made to move into this sector. And the good news is, is that, you know, although there are some unique aspects in terms of working in the wind industry or the solar industry, uh, a lot of the skills and knowledge that, for example, an electrician would bring from their work in other aspects of the energy industry will still be quite relevant in terms of uh, moving into, into these sectors. So it's not a matter of sort of having to, you know, start over again <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and relearn an entire new application. Uh, it's more taking, adding sort of a, a new knowledge set and adding it to your existing skill set so that you're able to apply it to these unique technologies. And these technologies are growing very rapidly. I don't have similar statistics for Canada, unfortunately, but I can tell you that in the United States, the jobs of wind turbine technician and solar energy technician have for the last several years consistently been listed in the top five growing uh, job app, uh, sort of job categories in the United States. And I think as we look to a future where 
these technologies only become more competitive as environmental issues become more imperative for us to deal with, um, those opportunities are only going to grow going forward. So, uh, you know, we've seen organizations, for example, in Alberta, an organization like Iron and Earth, which is working to uh, try and facilitate the, the, the movement of workers from the oil and gas industry into the renewable energy industry. Um, we're seeing more and more initiatives like that going forward. Uh, you know, from our perspective, there will be tremendous opportunities, and I certainly encourage people to investigate. Thanks again to my guest, Robert Hornung, founding president and CEO of the Canadian Renewable Energy Association. And thanks for listening.